Breathe in. Breathe out. We'll provide a therapy session today for Jets fans as Dr. Kaz plays the part of my therapist and I play myself, an angry Jets fan. We'll also preview Sunday's matchup against the Bills with Sam Darnold potentially back under center for Gang Green. We also chat with the big fella, former Jets offensive lineman and ESPN NFL analyst Damian Woody about everything going on with the franchise right now. So take a deep breath, Jets fans. It's time for a new episode of Gangs All Year from the New York Post. You play to win the game. Welcome back to Gangs All Here, New York Jets podcast from the New York Post. Jake Brown here alongside my co-host, Jets beat writer for the Post, Brian Costello. Follow us on Twitter at Jake Brown Radio at Brian Kaz. Subscribe to Gangs All Here wherever you get podcasts, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Amazon, NYPost.com. But if you're on Apple Podcasts, please give us that five-star rating and write in a nice review. We appreciate your continued support amongst all this losing all season long. We bring you two episodes every week with special Jets guests. Speaking of special guests, joining Kaz and I in the second half of the show today will be former Jets offensive lineman and ESPN analyst, Damian Woody. But to start off the show today, we're going to do things a little bit differently. And it's time for Jets fan therapy. Come on in. I'm Dr. Kaz. Take a seat. Oh, Dr. Kaz, thanks for seeing me today. It's It's been a rough week. It's been a rough year for me since the season started, uh, Doctor. The Jets have not won a game. They have not really competed in a game. And I don't even know if alcohol could help me at this point, Doctor. What do you recommend? Have you thought about uh, taking a Sunday away from the Jets to maybe going up and seeing the fall foliage, driving around? Maybe there's a project you need to do in your apartment. Maybe you need to get your computer fixed since it's buzzing in your earphones, something like that. Uh, Have you thought about just stepping away from the TV for a weekend? Well, Doctor, despite all the white girls I know posting apple cider donuts and, you know, (laughs) apple picking to their Instagrams and their Twitters and getting my fat ass hungry... I am still forced to watch this team. It's like an addiction. It's like I need to see the game. And doing the Gangs All Here show with the esteemed Brian Costello doctor, I've had to watch. And while I've thought about doing other things and taking my talents elsewhere, I still continue to watch this this team, doctor. And what I see is just ineptitude. I see bad coaching. I see a bad roster. I see a horrible team. And they make me yell. And they make my blood pressure rise. And my cholesterol is now through the roof It forces me to eat fatty foods, order chicken tenders, order buffalo wings, eat fries, and I don't know how I can take it, doctor. Maybe you should switch teams, Jake. Have you thought about switching to maybe just watch the Red Zone channel on a Sunday? Well, let me tell you, on the Red Zone channel, I see Robbie Anderson catching touchdown. I see Tom Brady still somehow being good. I see the likes of Demario Davis playing well. I see offensive linemen going elsewhere. I see Steve McClendon now going to join Tom Brady. I see former Jets galore, and I can't take former Jets playing well. I'm already a Mets fan, doctor. I've seen Travis Darno in the playoffs. I see Justin Turner hitting home runs. The Red Rocket did nothing in Queens, and now he's 
great making 15 million a year to do big things and probably win a World Series. Every one of my teams, doctor, the former player goes elsewhere and does great. Can they ever do great here? Can I ever get a jersey that sticks around here where they don't leave and be a Hall of Famer elsewhere, doc? Namath? Namath jersey? You can stick with that, right? Speaking of Broadway Joe, doctor, he goes on the Jake Asman show and says, you know what? The Jets should take Trevor Lawrence. He says Trevor Lawrence is the answer. But I'm here thinking this, Doc. I'm here thinking week 17, the Jets win their you know second game of the season and fall to the number two pick. The number one pick takes Trevor Lawrence, and it's another year where the Jets miss out on a franchise quarterback. The only thing I could think is the negative and the worst-case scenario, Doc. And I can't take it anymore. If this team doesn't have a savior in Trevor Lawrence, who is the Lord and Savior if it's not him or Jesus Christ? Well, week 17 is against the Patriots. It'll be very Belichickian for him to lay down and let the Jets win that game so they don't get Trevor, Trevor Lawrence. It'll be Doctor. the first time the Jets have beaten the Patriots since 2015, and that would end up, you know, uh, costing you Lawrence. That would be perfect, right? That would be the perfect way to end the season with a win, Jake. Doctor, win. you're envisioning Brian Hoare throwing seven interceptions in week 17 and the Jets winning six to three and then losing Trevor Lawrence. I've seen this story before. Patrick Mahomes, you know, the Jets could have picked him. They picked Jamal Adams. Where's Jamal Adams now? Oh, he's in Seattle. Oh, uh, Deshaun Watson could have picked him. He's in Houston. The Jets have all these players around the league where you're like, damn it, we missed picking him. Damn it, we missed picking him. And it makes me think that they're going to screw up in the draft again where maybe they do get the first pick and they say, yeah, you know what? We're going to stick with Sam Darnold and we'll take someone else number one. My prescription is alcohol, Jake. I think that's the only answer for you. I think this Sunday, you know, we'll we'll take a break from the podcast. We'll record it Monday morning and go ahead and watch it and intoxicate it. It might look better to you. Yeah, I think by halftime, Doc, I'm just going to have about a dozen white claws in me and uh by the third quarter you know the jets will be down 37 nothing and uh hopefully at that point i am intoxicated let me let me get my uh my best anger management jack nicholson advice uh doc and go goose fraba goose fraba all right, I'm calm now. Thank you for the visit, Doctor. That'll be five hundred dollars <laughs> for the hour. I'll yeah, yes, yes. Make, make checks I, payable I, to Doctor Cos. Venmo. I take Venmo. Okay, Venmo, Cash App, all forms of uh, cash accepted. Yeah. Whew, I feel better now. That was, was a good therapy session. I, um, I I feel better. And yes, my computer is it sounds like a Robert Kraft's helicopter riding to Florida, but um, <laughs> we'll get that fixed. Uh, the Jets, Cos against the Bills this week, and you know all the negativity I I poured out in that session is you know Sam Darnold could be back. Maybe the offense is better, Cos, and with the potential of him, maybe Denzel Mims making his debut. He he practiced. Uh, Brashad Perriman, Jameson Crowder, maybe. Darnold's back and he's got all, you know, at least some of his tools now finally at his disposal. Yeah, color me skeptical, Jake. (laughs) The offense didn't look that good before. Um, I don't think it's just going to get fixed because Denzel Mims steps on the field. You know, uh, it'll be better. It's better for the Jets overall to have Darnold back. To me, the rest of the season is about evaluating Sam Darnold because, like, you know, like you said on the couch, the Trevor Lawrence thing could get screwed up for them. Like, they, they might win a game and the Jets have a really good strength of schedule because obviously they're playing a lot of good teams and that's the tiebreaker. If they finish one and 15, if they win a game, let's say they're one and 15 and pick a team, the Jaguars or Washington is one and 15. Chances are the jets are picking second because they're going to have a tougher schedule than the other team. 
and that's the tiebreaker. The team with the easier schedule gets the number one gets the number one pick, gets the better pick. So I think everyone's counting on them going 0 and 16. I don't not necessarily know that's going to happen, and they could end up with the number two pick, and then what do you do? So, so I think they still could have a Darnold decision to make after this season. Do you stick with Sam or do you go to one of the other quarterbacks? So they need to see Sam for 10 games. I think that's the important thing. I wouldn't have high expectations for Denzel Mims right away. This guy, he's barely practiced. I don't know how much of the offense he knows. I got a feeling he's going to run the wrong way a lot. You know, it's not easy to pick up the offense quickly. Yes, they could probably hit him on a go route or something like that, but it's not going to be like he's going to walk in the door and, and change the offense. I just got off the couch and now you're making me get back on where you bring out the strength of schedule point you're right 589 is the strength of schedule winning percentage uh 489 washington 527 giants 568 atlanta jacksonville and minnesota are next 572 573 so yeah their strength of schedules ahead of all those guys so you're right that that is an irky situation if uh one of them yeah, and, and it's and you don't i mean it, it's hard to figure out strength of schedule with 10 games left like there, there's a lot a lot of football to be played across the league the jets don't have many weak teams on their schedule left so i don't think that strength of schedule is going to get significantly weaker as they play the Bills, the Chiefs, the Patriots, uh, get the Seahawks and the Rams. Those are teams that are going to have good records and their strength of schedule is going to get tougher and tougher, I think. Do you see Darnold playing as giving them a much, and these guys, say Mims is back and all those receivers are back, do you think that gives them that much better a chance than Joe Flacco? I mean, Flacco did look pretty bad, but do you look at Darnold, you know, with his weapons looking better and and Becton back on the line? I do. I mean, Sam Darnold is significantly better than Joe Flacco. I mean, I, I don't think that's, Darnold didn't play great in the beginning of the year. I'd like to see him with the offense as they kind of built it for at least one game. Would be it'd be nice to see him with Perriman, Crowder, Mims, Herndon, get back to the left tackle. I mean, you're never going to have everybody in the NFL, but it'd be nice if they had the receivers at least. I do think he's – I mean, the thing is, Darnold can move too. Flacco, you know, Dar- it wouldn't have been a 28-yard sack with Darnold in there the other day. He can move a little bit. They, they can do more things in the offense with him, so I do think they'll be better with Darnold. And, you know, Bryce Hall was trending on Twitter, but it was for a TikTok star, Bryce Hall. I saw that earlier today, and now Bryce Hall – the Jets' Bryce Hall, uh, he started practicing. You know, he's eligible to start practicing. So in a couple of games, we finally might see him, right? Yeah, he practiced uh, today for the first time. He was out there. The way it works is they can activate him after week eight. So another two weeks, they could activate him. He could play. Now another, again, I don't know what to expect from Bryce Hall. The guy's been running sprints all season on the side field that being said it's a similar situation as to bless austin last year he was the same thing he had an injury in college spent the first half of the year on the nfi list the non-football injury list then came off and he played pretty well for the jets during the second half of the season uh so it could be a similar story with bryce hall this year yeah and he won't be on tiktok and then getting kicked out of a restaurant for vaping too much with his friends which is what the story was for starting a fight after vaping and i mean children of today are, are doomed right now because there are children who wanting to grow up to be tiktok stars forget the days of wanting to be a teacher a firefighter mommy daddy i want to be a tiktok star trust me i know all about it yeah you you got the kids on tiktok over here i had i had it on my it's funny my son begged for it so i put it on my phone one day he did it once and that was it he was over it so (laughs) he's 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 only 11 and this was probably like last year so he's a little young for it. Uh, I wasn't sending it out to the world or anything. I was just letting him do it on my phone. But, you know, I'll probably get hit with, who knows, in two years what TikTok, what, what the new TikTok will be. Oh, God. Ugh. I mean, be careful. Make sure he doesn't get his hands too much on TikTok because uh, that's where it all fails. Let's make our picks for Sunday. Bills, Jets. At MetLife Stadium, week seven, the Jets come in at 0-6. The Bills are coming off a loss. They are 4-2. and 
The Jets are home, yes, but they are 13.5-point underdogs to the Bills. I mean, I I like to stay away from those spreads, but if you've probably had a ton of luck betting against the Jets, they are losing, period, against the spread. And uh, overall, Kaz, I'm going to take the Bills here 34-20, so they'll cover, I say, but I again, it's not a line I love to touch because of backdoor covers, but... I just don't think, even with the weapons the Jets have back, I just think the Bills light up the scoreboard. I know they didn't last uh, the last week, but I, I, I just can't see them beating the Bills, man. I think the Bills are the, the best team in this division still. I do think they're better than New England and Miami, who, by the way, to a T taken over for Fitzpatrick. A little surprised by that timing, and I know Fitzpatrick was not too happy about it. He was happy on the sidelines against the Jets when you know he came in in the final two minutes, and now he is not. But I can't blame him for the team being three and three. But I'll take the uh, the Bills here, thirty four twenty. Cos, who do you got? Thirty four twenty. I think it's gonna. I think the Jets are gonna cover this one, Jake. They haven't all year, if I'm not mistaken, right? They haven't covered a spread yet. Uh, let me think here. I think I'll go Bills 26, Jets 21. I think I think they might – at some point, this team has to play a good game, has to be competitive. I think this could be the week. You're right. The Jets are 0-6 against the spread as well. What did you think of that decision quickly before we move on uh, of the Dolphins putting two a T in? Yeah, I think what probably complicated things for them, Jake, is their bye week got moved. So they were supposed to have the bye week the same as the Jets, right? They were supposed to be, a, um, I think I have the schedule here. It was supposed to be Jets-Dolphins was supposed to be November 16th, bye week, then Jets-Dolphins again on November 29th. Both teams were off that week. When the schedule shuffle happened last week and the Jets-Dolphins game got moved to this past week, the Dolphins bye week also got changed. So I have a feeling all along Miami was saying, we're going to make the change during the bye week give him a lot of time to adjust to it and then all of a sudden they move the bye week to this week and they're coming off two wins Fitz didn't play all that well against the Jets but he played well last week against the 49ers so I think that complicated things I was surprised because I thought okay they're three and three they're a game out of first place I'm not really a believer in the Dolphins but they're in it and Fitz had been playing pretty well for them so that really that decision kind of surprised me Jake yeah and I think that makes sense to do it after the bye but I can't blame Fitz for being mad your team's right in the thick of things and uh now you're headed to the bench so and uh good luck kid you only got to face Aaron Donald in your first uh career start good luck with that uh so hopefully the offensive line has some double protection on Aaron Donald all right so we're both taking the bills you think they cover I say the bills will cover all right it's that time of the show where Brian Costello tells you a story from his days on the beat in this week's installment of Brian's book take it away Kaz well, Jake, there's been some very surreal days covering the Jets. It's it's you know they haven't been a good team since I've covered them, but they've been always been an interesting team. And one day I will never forget the summer of 2015, August, two days before the first preseason game against the Lions. And you know we get a media schedule, and usually the team does not go off that media schedule. So coach is supposed to talk at 3:15. They talk at 3:15. The locker room opens after that. So this day uh, was during training camp, and all of a sudden, PR director at the time, Bruce Spate, comes into the media room and says, Coach Bowles is coming down to talk to you guys. And at first, I was like, you know, what is this? Like, I thought maybe he was coming down to talk to us off the record about something, or, you know, that's happened in the past, or he was upset about something. So I said to Bruce, I said, do, 
you know, do I need my, my recorder? Do I mean, say, no, no, don't worry about it. So Todd was kind of coming in right behind as Bruce was saying that. And Todd looked at me, he goes, Oh, you're going to want to record this. And I'm like, Oh, that's interesting. So he sat down and Todd Bowles announced that Geno Smith had been punched by IKN and Polly in the locker room and had broken his jaw and was out indefinitely. So Ryan Fitzpatrick was going to be the quarterback and they had cut IKN and Polly who had been a draft pick the year before. I mean, it was like the most stunning thing to hear. It was hard to process it in your brain. And I remember Todd was just kind of like, I didn't know Todd well at that time. That was his first year, but he he was just almost like dumbfounded. <laughs> like, like this happened and was kind of just like, chuckling about it and you know immediately you go into well what happened what was behind it and so you start hitting every source you know to try to come up with it and finally i got a call from someone who told me you know that it was six hundred dollars and it was over this camp that gino owed him money and this that whole story but what was amazing jake is you know it was a it was a regular day in training camp and the 2015 jets were a little interesting they had spent some money but they weren't a hot team with the national media that announced every media member in the tri-state area showed up at jets after that they it was like everyone news stations Every NFL network reporter you could think of, all the insiders, they were all there. Uh, there was just TV trucks everywhere. It was just such a huge story. And then a few weeks later, the post, we got pictures of Gino playing catch in his front yard when he wasn't supposed to be doing stuff. So um, that was just, of all like the crazy days covering the Jets, that one is right at the top. I'm very curious if you have any story of like two beat writers punching each other or getting in a fight. Is that, no, that, is that next, that next week's really edition happened. of Brian's book? <laughs> Yeah, you know, yeah, I'm trying to. Th- there's been some. There's been some pretty physical. There's not 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 physical. There's been some pretty uh, good arguments and fights like that between beat writers. But I can't remember it ever getting physical on the Jets beat. One time, you know, we have these like. I don't know if you call them offices, but we you can close the door. They're very tiny cubicles that we have that we work in. They, you know, it's good because you can close the door and be private. But I was one time locked in one with uh, another beat reporter, and we were screaming at each other. And I thought that one was going to go physical, and I could just picture all the other beat writers outside the door listening to us fighting. <laughs> but I can't remember anyone any time where where it actually uh, it actually ended up in punches being thrown. All right, well, think of one in the future if, if you ever do, even if it was the Yankees beat or whatever other team you were covering, if that ever happened. No, yeah, you got to get Serbia. Serbia surely has a story like that. You know, Serbia was around in the eighties. It was a lot wilder time then, Jake. I think we had him on last year. He told the story of Richard Todd throwing him into the locker, which is probably the most famous story of a you know a reporter getting hit by a, an athlete. But I, I'm not sure if Serbia probably has something about it. It's two reporters going at it. All right. Well, next week we'll debut Serbi Saga, where Serbi tells us <laughs> stories of his fights in the locker room. All right. Coming up next is a guy who I would not want to fight in the locker room. It's former Jets offensive lineman and ESPN analyst Damian Woody right here on Gangs All Here from the New York Post. Joining us now is a 1999 first-round draft pick by the Patriots where he would go on to win two Super Bowls. He's an offensive guard that played 12 seasons in the NFL. The final three years of his career came with the New York Jets from 2008 through 2010. In his three seasons with Gangrene, he was part of three straight winning seasons. Would he get that? And back-to-back appearances in the AFC Championship game in his final two years. The Jets haven't made the playoffs since. It's been quite a long decade. You can catch him all over ESPN, breaking down the NFL. He's a great follow on Twitter and Instagram as well. It's the big fella, number 67, Damian Woody. Woody, what's going on, man? Jake Brown, 
Brian Costello, appreciate you coming on the show. All right. Thank you guys for having me. How are you guys doing? Oh, man. We uh, early in the show did a Jets fan therapy session, as I am the fan and Kaz is the therapist. Uh, what, <laughs> what what, what have you seen from this team? I really, You really do need therapy watching this team every Sunday. Yeah, man. It's, it's, um, it's quite honestly, it's a disaster. It, it, you know, the, this Jets team, they look like an expansion team out there. And, you know, there's a myriad of things that, that, that are going wrong with the team. And obviously, you know, the, the one person who's under fire is Adam Gates. And ultimately, he's, uh, he's, he'll take the brunt of all this. But, you know, this is a team that, quite honestly, is undisciplined, just not playing the type of, type of winning football that you need to play week in and week out. I mean, it just, Across the board, the talent level is not there. A lot of injuries, questionable play calling on both sides of the ball. Again, it's a myriad of things that that's, that's really been plaguing this team, and that's why the team is sitting at the only winless team in the National Football League right now. D, Jake gave you the big introduction there, and everyone remembers you with the Jets, and people remember you with the Patriots winning Super Bowls, but you were also on the Lions for a little while there, and you weren't on the 0-16 team. I think you escaped to the Jets the year before that, but obviously you had, there had to be some signs there when you were with Detroit that they were heading that way. I'm curious, what was it like being on that team? And can you kind of relate to what the players might be going through right now on this current Jets team? Oh, absolutely, cause there were definitely signs. You know, we were. I was there when Steve Mariucci was fired during the season, and we had Dick, Dick Jerron as his interim head coach, and you know, obviously we had Rob Marinelli who was who didn't work out in Detroit as well. You know, the one thing that that you know with with bad bad organizations that don't win is a lot of it has it starts. You know, it starts at the top and it, and it permeates its way on down. So the one thing you can say about, you know, the correlation between that, those teams and what I'm seeing now is there's just been so much turnover, Cos. It, 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 when you look at the Jets over the past decade, it's just been turnover after turnover after turnover. Whether you're talking about John Isaac and, and Rex Ryan and then moving on to Mike McCagnan and Todd Bowles and, and then, you know, going to Adam Gates. Anytime you have this much turnover, whether it be general manager, head coaches, coordinators, it's a recipe for disaster. You look at any team that's that's you know that's perennially been doing well year after year, is stable ownership, stable front office, stable coaching staff. That's the recipe for you know for long term you know long term winning, and that's just not what we're saying here in New York. And until that gets resolved, until this carousel of of, of people coming in and out gets resolved, it's going to be more the same. Woody, uh, you know, you had that change. You talked about it from, you know, Steve Mariucci to Dick Duran. Did that make a difference in season when they changed coaches? Obviously, at some point, we expect Adam Gase to be fired. It hasn't happened yet, but did did that ignite the troops? Obviously, the team wasn't very good then, and this Jets team's not good, but did that change your mindset at all uh, on that team? No, I mean, it didn't, it didn't really didn't change anything. We, I mean, everyone knew that it was, you know, change was inevitable, it was going to happen. But once it happened, it's not like we just, oh, the lights just turned on and we're going to just be a good team. No, we stunk. We were still a bad team. Didn't matter if it was Steve Mariucci or Dick Duran, you know. And, um, you know, listen, I get it. I've, I've, been, a, I've been a big critic of, of Adam Gates uh, myself, but I'm also – I also know that firing Adam Gates is not going to change what the, what's going what ails the Jets right now. You know, he you know Adam Gates is just a symptom to a bigger problem that's going on within the organization. So you know, this is a team that quite honestly is on 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 a path to being one of the worst teams that we've ever seen in national 
in the National Football League history. And I, I just think that firing Adam Gase, it's really not going to do anything to change the Jets' fortune this year. It'll make all those fans happy, Damian. That's all it'll do. <laughs> they'll, they'll be happy. It'll be a sugar rush. It's going to make them happy for a little while. And then all of a sudden, Jake's, Jake's going to be all giddy. They fired Adam Gase. And then he's going to, then the next week, they're going to get destroyed by, and he's going to go, oh, But that's fine that with me. Work. I think it's the accountability, guys. And I, you know, I think it's seeing change is, you know, is good. Just like in life, you see change, it, it makes you happy. Even if it doesn't change much, you know, sometimes it's that, it's that decision that makes all the difference. You came in in 2008, right? And to the Jets, and you were part, you were one of a number of guys they brought in that year. That was one of the years where Tannenbaum opened the checkbook and spent spent big. He traded for Chris Jenkins, brought you in. I think Fanica arrived the same year, and obviously the Favre moved later. When you arrived, the Jets were four and twelve the year before. Uh, it, you know they weren't they weren't in the state they're in now because Mangini had got them the playoffs the first year. But how did you guys go about kind of changing things when you got here? I mean, did you guys talk about it? All you guys that kind of got here about what needed to be done to turn the Jets around? Well, you know what, Carl, this is one of those situations where, you know, when I came in to my, when I came in for my free agent visit, Alan Fanica was here at the same time. Tony Richardson was, was here at the same time. And we just had, you know, we were just talking. We were like, okay, yes, they were 4-12, and 12, but they got some building blocks here. Like, they got players that are solid players that with the right veteran leadership, this thing could be turned around quickly. And this was an organization that felt like now, you know, we got the young pieces. Now is the time for us to really make a splash and go for it. And that's exactly what happened. A bunch of guys were, you know, a bunch of veteran guys came in, guys who came from winning organizations who knew what it, what it took to win football games. And that's exactly what happened. Then the whole Favre trade went down during training camp. And listen, Todd, you saw it. At one point, we were rolling 8-3. And then obviously the Favre injury derailed everything and Mangini got fired. But that doesn't take away from, you know, our preparation and how we were preparing and what we were doing out there on game day. We were firing all cylinders. But when, you, when your quarterback gets injured and goes down, it changes everything. Woody, we talk a lot about on this show culture and the Jets not really having that. We talked with Willie Colon uh, the other day about that, how he came from a culture in Pittsburgh and came to the Jets and it wasn't there. What needs to change to establish? I mean, the first thing we always talk about winning, of course, this team doesn't win. Um, but it seemed like there was some kind of culture with Rex Ryan there that you guys, you know, went to back-to-back AFC championships and obviously winning helped that. But what do you think needs to change to establish that Jet culture? Well, I think. Listen, first of all, you got to get the you got to get the, the, the whatever the power structure is. You got to have people on the same page. You know that it's just too much turnover from that from that aspect. That's number one. Get your coach and your and your and your and your general manager on the same page. No more arranged marriages. It doesn't work. That's the number one thing. Number two, you gotta you gotta get guys to buy into your program, buy into your system. And part of that, a lot of that has to do with the head coach. Because I've always said you can't fool the players. Okay? You can't fool the players. And the one thing I said one thing I said about the Jet situation was with Adam Gates, he came over from Miami, and it's just like, what have you done? What have you accomplished? And so when you come in into a situation where guys are kind of looking at you sideways, like, ah, what has this guy really accomplished? Then guys aren't going to really be fully invested into your program, into this culture, and, and obviously we see where the Jets are right now. So I think moving forward, the Jets got to get GM Joe Douglas and whoever the coach is moving forward in the next year 
guys on the same page, bringing a coach with some credibility, you know, someone the players can look at and say, you know what, that's a guy who's been in a winning system, a winning program, a guy that we can buy into. And then most importantly, they got to start getting players in here because at the end of the day, you can have coaches and all this and all that. But if you don't have talent, you're not going to win. Period. So they gotta you gotta start drafting better. You gotta start spending your money better in free agency. That's what ultimately is gonna turn things around with the Jets. Danny, it's interesting you said the coach with bring in a coach with credibility. It's hard to do that. It's hard to bring in a coach who's been a head coach somewhere else and won because they usually don't become available. Like I think every Jets fan would love to have the redux of Bill Parcells in 1997 coming in, but that's rare when you get a Super Bowl winning coach who's available that that fits you. Um, Chances are this is going to be a a coach who's a coordinator somewhere. Maybe Eric Bieniemy is the guy. Uh, Maybe it's somebody else who's a coordinator somewhere. Does a coach, you know, how does a coach have credibility if he hasn't been the head coach before? I mean, you went through it with Rex. He wasn't a head coach before. How did he have credibility when he walked in the door with the Jets? Well, I know, like, with, with Rex, man, Rex brought a swagger to us. He brought an identity to the table. And it was, from day one, Rex was like, look, this is what we're going to be. We're going to run it, we're going to complete passes, and we're going to play be nasty on defense. And he just kept harping on that. And he just kept telling guys, look, guys, we're going to get off the bus running the football. This is what we're going to, this is how we're going to win. So, like, you have to... Again, you got to have the players. That's been the biggest problem with the Jets. They've been a disaster as far as drafting, developing, and signing free agents. And it's really caught up with them. They got to reverse that trend. So that's where Joe Douglas comes in. But as far as the head coach is concerned, you got to have a a theme, a message, and it's got to be, you got to harp on it day in and day out. Because I knew from day one when Rex came in, he was like, we're going to be ground and pound. And how long has ground and pound stayed? Ground and pound has stayed relevant now for over a decade. Because Rex just was just thorough about this is how we're going to win. We're going to win this style, this way. And he was right. We were knocked on the door twice in the Super Bowl off of ground and pound. And that's what a coach had to do. Yeah, and having the likes of, you know, Thomas Jones and Sean Green and Leon Washington, those guys definitely helps in that. The Jets have not really had that, and they haven't had guys up front like you guys had. I mean, this offensive line, Woody, uh, just is nowhere near the stratosphere that you guys had, and they try to patch it all together um, this offseason. Didn't really work. Makai Becton seems to be the piece on that line, although he's been banged up. But what's your thoughts on this offensive line they've put together? Well, listen, I, I'm going to go back to, like, when I first, when I, you know, the Mangini era. Mangini came in, and what was the first thing he addressed? The offensive line. His first two picks, Nick Mango, the Brickershaw Ferguson. Because he knew the way you win in the National Football League, I don't care what era we are in. You can't win if, the tre- if, you, if you can't win in the trenches. And that's exactly what they did. They got the two anchors with Nick and Brick. Then they went out, they had Brandon Moore also. Then they finished it off with myself and Alan Fanica. And then next thing you know, voila, we're in, we're in AFC championship games because we, got, we have the best line in football. And I think that's what Joe, Joe Douglas recognized that. He's a former offensive lineman. He just needs to figure this thing out and get the offensive line to be a dominant unit. Now I think he I think he hit hit a home run with Makai Beckton. 
think everyone sees what Makai Becton, his, his arrow is pointed up. And I think they have some pieces on the line that you can win with. They got to keep adding to that. Because if you can win up front in the trenches, you can go a long way in this league. And I think that's got to be priority number one. We all know the best offensive linemen come from Virginia, right? Oh, of course. I mean, come on now, Kyle. <laughs> of course. You got myself. Makai is from Virginia. I mean, Joe Douglas, you know, Joe the Douglas, Brick, another <laughs> Joe Douglas from Virginia. So that's all. Yeah. That, that's all that needs to be said. I think you raise a great point about needing players, D. Because you know, and I've said it. I keep saying it. And, you know, every time everyone wants to fire Adam Gase, I I understand where the frustration with Gase comes from. But the play, it's it's this to me the biggest problem is the talent on this team and. If you want an example, look at what Tampa Bay is doing. The de- I think I know that defensive coordinator at Tampa Bay. I think I've seen him coach a few <laughs> games before. And I think yep. everyone wanted to run him out of town. And now he's got a couple players, and it looks like he knows how to coach again. It's just it's crazy to me you know, how the cycle kind of repeats itself. And it, a funny thing, too, like with Eric Bieniemy, is Patrick Mahomes going to come with him if they hire him? Because that, that'll help. But they, they got to get these guys players. I, I know I think you know Joe Douglas a little bit, D, from you know being from the same area. And I know you were around the Jets last year when he got hired uh that one day i remember you were at practice i mean do you like what he's done so far and do you think he's he's going to be successful here i I think it's i think it's still early i think there's a mixed bag this is his first true draft class so we don't know what his draft class you know how the draft is going to go with him he's had mixed results in free agency again like i said it's still early with him but it's it's imperative if you want to build a team with sustainability you've got to draft well you gotta draft well. That's where the Jets have really killed themselves. If you look at the Jets, their draft history over the past, I would say decade, it's been awful. It's been awful. And when you don't draft well, then you gotta overcompensate in free agency and spend a lot of money um, you know, overcompensating for what you, you know, the, the mistakes you made in the draft. And that's the reason why the Jets are in the position they're in right now is because they drafted horribly and then in free agency, they've been bad. So when you have that combination, you're sitting exactly where the Jets are right now with a bare cupboard and you look like an expansion team. So again, I understood what, what, what um, Joe Douglas did when he traded away Jamal Adams. He knew that I need to start flipping you know, flipping these chips that I have to, to acquire more assets. And so I think Joe Douglas is on his way to kind of restocking the, the you know, the, the, the cover right now with these uh, draft picks. Yeah, Kaz and I always talk about there's about four or five handful of guys that we're going to see on this team for years to come. And after that, uh, it's, uh, it's not too great. I asked my homie Dominique, who produces that first take, uh, any questions for you or inside jokes. And she mentioned that, Get up! Uh, they're naming segments after wood puns for you. Uh, who you blame is, is the wood pile. Uh, she asked, you know, do do you have any wood puns on the Jets for us? No wood puns for the Jets. It's just a complete dumpster fire there, man. It, it, you know, man. Listen, woodchuck. It's hard to yeah, just woodchuck. Just chuck the whole organization away right now. It is just it's bad, bro. It is it's bad watching the Jets right now. But like. I have a lot of love for the Jets. People might think that because the way I I come at them that I don't like the organization. I love the organization. The way the organization treated me when I was here was top notch. You know, Woody Johnson and all the coaches and everyone affiliated with the organization. I just want them to do well. And it's just, it pains me to watch 
how bad they have gotten now. They're the last in stock of the league, and I don't, I don't like that personally, but hopefully Joe Douglas and I, I really hope that Christopher Johnson or Woody Johnson, whoever's making the call, lean on Joe Douglas to try to make some of these decisions as far as football is, is concerned. Um, especially when it comes to picking the next head coach, because you got to have that 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 synergy right. Yeah, and I think they will. They, I, I mean, Christopher Johnson has not really meddled since he's been in charge. He's let the football people do what they want to do. With the lone exception was when they wanted to sign Indomitian Sue. He did not want Indomitian Sue on his team, but that was it. And breaking news, by the way, the Jets have made a trade. They're, they've traded Jordan Willis to the 49ers. Jake, you're probably going to be upset that you bought that Jordan Willis jersey. Oh man, I got to put in. Next to my Braden Man jersey, yeah. The fire sale is on, Damian. I'm just curious. I don't know. I don't know if you knew Christopher very well because he really wasn't very active when you were with the team. But you know Woody well. I think there's some fans who just don't think these guys really want to win, and I don't think it's that at all. I think they've just made some terrible decisions in who they've listened to through the years. Would you agree with that? And and what was your impression of Woody? You know, when when you were around him. I mean, like when I was around Woody, what, like 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 he was a Funny guy, like good dude, like willing, like listen to you, like was very receptive of the players. Like I never had a problem with Woody Johnson at all. And I always felt like Woody wanted to win. Like think about this guy. These guys, these are billionaires, you know, billionaire people, you know, that own these teams. They got, they have pride. Like they don't, they don't want to own these teams and be terrible teams. Like they want to win. Like, it's, it's almost like a vanity project for them. They want to win. They want to be able to brag on that team. So this notion that Woody Johnson doesn't want to win or Christopher Johnson doesn't want to win, that's nonsense. Everyone has an ego. Everyone wants to win. They want to win. I just think that they've made some poor decisions along the way to the point where the Jets are where they are right now, but they want to win. And I think Jordan Willis actually and I have the same amount of tackles this season, which is a, is a donut. Um, <laughs> he hasn't so, played much. Yeah, so it's interesting to see him go to the uh, Niners. Damien, uh, we love you on ESPN. I got to say, I miss those days, man. I mean, I know they didn't, we didn't make the Super Bowl, but those teams were so fun. Rex was fun. Let's eat a goddamn snack. HBO, Hard Knocks. I mean, those years were just so fun. Even if Mark Sanchez at times was hard to watch, you guys up front were creating holes like no other. And, you know, it's gone from wearing your Jets jersey loud and proud to wearing a bag over your head in the streets as a Jets fan these days. <laughs> I miss those days, Woody. I know, man. I, I, I get it all the time, man. I, you would not believe like how often I'll, I'll be out and about and walking around and people like, man, I miss those days when you were playing with the Jets, man. And I, I again, I want, I want the Jets to do well, man, but this is going to take a little bit to get this thing turned around. When I turn on ESPN, Damien, it's like I'm back. I'm back covering the 2010 Jets. You're on. You're on. Sanchez is on. Rex is on. Tannenbaum <laughs> is on. Uh, who am I forgetting, Jake? I mean, there's like a. It's like X Jets everywhere. Bart, I, mean, I know. Bart, Bart is on. Bart's everywhere. Bart is on. Yeah, Bart's everywhere. I know with COVID, you're probably not hanging out or anything. But like, do you guys like run into each other at like in? Before COVID, maybe like in the the cafeteria at Bristol, and like you guys reminisce, have a scrimmage. <laughs> oh yeah, like 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 I would run into like Rex and I would would run into each other all the time, and we would just talk about like just the state of the Jets. And that's another person who loves the Jets organization, Rex Ryan. And so we would just be talking like, man, what are these guys doing? Like it, it, it's just more of a you know a pride thing. Like you just want the organization to do well and 
And uh, it's nothing malicious or anything bad about to say about the Jets. It's just a, a sadness to just see the organization in the state that it's in right now. Oh, the glory days. It's been a decade since uh, playoffs are made, and it doesn't seem like the playoffs are coming anytime soon. Unfortunately, even if the Jets were in the NFC East, they wouldn't be in playoff contention this year. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that's bad. That yeah. is bad. You need you need five wins. You could wood, you could wood chuck the NFC East away this year from the, uh, the playoff picture as well. Uh, Damian Woody, catch him on ESPN. Follow him on Twitter and Instagram, at Damian Woody. Uh, Damian, appreciate the time, man. Always good talking to you, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Appreciate it. All right, guys. Thanks for having me on. That says hasta la vista, baby, to episode 44, the John Riggins edition of Gangs All Here, our Jets podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Alex Camerata for helping me out in producing the show. Please go on Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and write in a nice review as we continue dropping two episodes a week all season long. For Brian Costello, I'm Jake Brown. We'll be back on Monday following the Jets-Bills matchup. Enjoy the game, folks, and as always, stay safe.